It's Friday, May the 13th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Ukrainian aid stalls in the Senate, and Russia reacts to Finland's NATO plans. First, the world in brief. A vote on a $40 billion aid package for Ukraine in America's Senate was held up by Rand Paul. Worried about increasing the deficit and stoking inflation, the Kentucky senator demanded that the legislation include greater oversight of spending. A vote on the bill, which has bipartisan support and has already passed the House of Representatives, is now expected next week. Russia's foreign ministry said that it would be, quote, forced to take retaliatory steps to, quote, stop threats to its national security in response to the news that Finland will apply for NATO membership. Finland joining the alliance would mean that NATO's border with Russia doubled at a stroke. Sweden is also considering joining. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said a, quote, swift Finnish entry would be, quote, warmly welcomed. European gas prices shot up on Thursday, the day after Russia implemented sanctions on energy companies in the continent. Futures tied to TTF, Europe's wholesale gas price, rose by about 13% to €106, $110, per megawatt hour. The sanctions mean gas can no longer flow through the Yamal pipeline from Russia to Germany. On Wednesday, Ukraine also shut a major pipeline carrying gas from Russia. Ranil Wickremesinghe was sworn in as the new Prime Minister of Sri Lanka after a tumultuous few weeks. The 73-year-old political veteran is head of the opposition United National Party. He was thus acceptable to opposition parties that refused to join any new government headed by a member of the Rajapaksa clan. Mahinda Rajapaksa was forced to resign as Prime Minister on Monday, although his brother, Gotabaya, remains president. China said it would, quote, strictly limit travel abroad by Chinese citizens as the country doubles down on its, quote, zero-Covid policies aimed at stamping out the virus. The National Immigration Authority also warned about visitors bringing COVID-19 into China. Shanghai's lockdown, which was implemented in March, is only tightening. The government has not revealed when restrictions there will be lifted. America's Senate voted overwhelmingly to give Jerome Powell a second term at the helm of the Federal Reserve. In confirming Mr Powell, the Senate is betting that steady leadership will help the central bank tackle rampant inflation. Mr Powell was first tapped for chair by President Donald Trump and then re-nominated by President Joe Biden late last year. Israel's army said it was investigating whether one of its soldiers might have fatally shot Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Akleh, a correspondent for Al Jazeera, a news channel. She died during an Israeli raid in the West Bank city of Jenin on Wednesday. The news reported by the Washington Post marks a turn from initial Israeli suggestions that Palestinian militants were to blame. And fact of the day. 
$200 billion. The amount redistributed to 950 million people in India under the country's 36-month-old digital welfare system. And now, here's today's agenda. A border conundrum for Joe Biden. Two years ago, as COVID-19 surged, America began turning away migrants at its borders without letting them apply for asylum. The policy, known as Title 42, was controversial. Legal experts reckon it contravened America's obligations to refugees under international law. The Biden administration promised to end it from May 23rd. But several Republican-led states sued to keep it, arguing that they will bear the costs if more migrants are admitted. On Friday, they will make their case in federal court. Title 42 was invoked by the Trump administration, but it has been convenient for President Joe Biden, sparing him the embarrassing news bulletins of swamped border facilities, not seen since 2019. Officials think the number of arrivals may triple once the policy ends. With just a few months until the midterm elections, that could be a political headache. Ironic, then, that the Biden administration might be best served if the states demanding to preserve Title 42 get their way. Sweden may follow Finland's lead on NATO. Finland has been a byword for neutrality ever since the Cold War, when the Soviet Union forced it to remain non-aligned. But on May 12th, its president and prime minister declared that Finland, quote, must apply for membership of NATO. The invasion of Ukraine intended to push the alliance back from Russia's borders has instead brought it closer. Finland coordinates its defence policies with Sweden, which is also formally neutral. The ruling party there will probably make a similar recommendation to join NATO on Sunday. That Sweden has moved more slowly makes sense, whereas in Finland non-alignment was a pragmatic concession to Soviet might. For Swedes it took on a moral dimension. Sweden's human rights-oriented foreign policy long kept both America and the Soviet Union at arm's length. But Magdalena Andersson, the Prime Minister, has skillfully manoeuvred her party towards NATO accession without pushing too hard. If the country is to set aside a centuries-old policy of neutrality, it will need a broad political consensus to do it. Norwegian Air's Turbulent Forecast The Norwegian Air that reports earnings on Friday will look nothing like the Norwegian of two years ago. At the beginning of the pandemic, the low-cost, debt-laden airline was on the edge of disappearing altogether. But after government-backed bankruptcy proceedings and a change in strategy, cheap transatlantic flights were jettisoned, Norwegian managed to survive. Nonetheless, the next few months will be bumpy. Norwegian has already reported passenger numbers of 2.2 million for the first three months of the year. 
but that was still down from 5.1 million in the same period in 2020. And though the next few months are likely to be better for demand, helped in part by the EU lifting its mask mandate, cost pressures are building. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sent fuel prices rocketing. And unlike many other airlines, Norwegian has not hedged its costs. Also encumbered by a Europe-wide staff shortage because of COVID-19, Norwegian will have to fight to stay airborne. How Europe's oil firms spend their huge profits Europe's biggest oil companies reported record profits for the first quarter of the year. That has put them in the crosshairs of politicians, many of whom advocate windfall taxes on a bounty which they deem indecent at a time of economic pain. That would harm the planet, energy firms retort. We are recycling our extra cash into low-carbon projects. Not quite. European majors are indeed refraining from splashing out on fossil fuel. Rather than going into low-carbon ventures, however, the bulk of their enormous profits is being handed to investors. BP, for example, has allocated 60% of its surplus cash this year to buying back shares. The sums that they are investing in green projects remains puny. Shell aims to spend $3 billion on low-carbon investments in 2022, out of a capital spending budget of $23 billion to $27 billion. Last year, BP spent less than 10% of its budget on green ventures. Hardly a taxing amount. What would happen if China abandoned zero Covid? China's struggle to end its latest outbreak of more than 500,000 cases of COVID-19 is casting fresh doubts on the future of its zero-COVID policy. In a paper published this week in Nature Medicine, Chinese scientists and their foreign colleagues model the alternatives. Dropping all lockdown restrictions would quickly lead to 1.6 million deaths and at the peak of the wave, China would need 16 times more intensive care beds than it currently has. More realistic is a combination of vaccines and treatments. That, according to the scientists, could be sufficient to prevent the crush at hospitals. Treating all symptomatic cases with the most effective antiviral drugs would make the biggest difference. But huge amounts of the drugs must be procured. Vaccinating over 60s would also make a significant, though smaller, difference. Closing schools and workplaces and other curbs on group activity are much less effective. They only delay the problem in the same way that the zero-Covid policy does. Is anyone in Beijing listening? Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. 
Friday. Which author who lived from 1872 to 1960 was famous for writing columns about etiquette issues? Thursday. Which Roman officials formed a college to represent the common people or plebeians? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Witold Pilecki, who was born on this day in 1901. I found a joy in myself, coming from the awareness that I want to fight. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.